Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have author Clive Thompson. This is Technotopia. How do you market to your customers? When it comes to marketing your business, it's all about reaching the right audience at the right time and connecting with them when your message will resonate the most. You want to target your customers where they hang out and where they're ready to make decisions? LinkedIn can help you. We all know that LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. And when you advertise on LinkedIn, you have the opportunity to build long-term relationships with your customers. In fact, four out of five customers who are on LinkedIn are decision makers at their companies. So you're building relationships that really matter. Relationships that often translate into high-quality leads, website traffic, and higher brand awareness. What's the first step? talking to the right audience. LinkedIn has the marketing tools to help you target customers with precision. LinkedIn can find them by their job title, company name, and industry. The bottom line, targeting better on LinkedIn helps your customers find you. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com techno. That's linkedin.com techno for your free $100 ad credit. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Tectotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Clive Thompson. He's a columnist for Wired. You're, you work for the New York Times, and you're also working on a, a book, right? Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, next book is all about uh, the uh, the world of computer programmers, basically. Kind of a, a cultural study. Who gets into it, and what drives them, and why. Interesting. So, why'd you do that? Why, why do we need to know about the world of computer programmers, actually? <laughs> Well, uh, largely because they are in a oddly influential and powerful role right now. I mean, if you take a look at uh, if you take a look at all the major kind of systems that have been built over mm-hmm. the last you know couple hundred years in America, uh, at different points in time, you had you had sort of a class of professionals who had an outsized role in in building the world that people were going to live in. So like, so if you and I went in a time machine and went back to, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the 18th century, the early days of America, um, people who had the ability to, to write legalistically, who were lawyers had a, an enormous influence in the, in the way that that country was going to work. Right. Because you look at all those folks that were, you know, putting together the constitution, mm-hmm. Bill of Rights, all, uh, you know, all that stuff. And they were all lawyers uh, or worked in law. And so being able to sling words and sling them legally made you enormously influential. A hundred years later, the country was urbanizing, right? You know, you got New York is growing, you know, Boston, Chicago, all these cities are growing. And suddenly you have to cram like millions of people into one place. And so you have the rise of all the urban planners and civil engineers and urban designers that figure out how are we going to make these cities work or not work. And they had guys like Robert Moses had an enormous influence on the warp and woof of New York. He's still today, I mean, like, you know, sure. right, near, right near both of us, you know, the BQE just slices, it's, it's this highway, just slices through these neighborhoods. He just tore down, you know, <laughs> all sorts of people's houses so that he could make a new, uh, a new freeway. And that determines a huge amount of today's property values. Like this guy, these urban planners had this influential power. That is, that power is very similar to what computer programmers and the people that make software today have, right? Like they, they are the architects of the systems that guide the way we think, the way we work, the way we find out about the world. And so um, most people have really no idea what the hell coders do all day long. They watch like Mr. Robot and stuff, and they think mm-hmm. that's, kind of, that's kind of what, you know, you know, hack, these, you know, elite hackers do. Um, but I was interested in looking at, you know, so what, what really motivates the people that, that build these systems, you know, like what, what, uh, what are they, what do they kind of understand about the world, you know, uh, better 
than than we do because of their because of their stance on it. What do they persistently misunderstand about the world <laughs> that has consequences for us? And that's kind of, that's kind of why the book came about, basically. So that's actually a fascinating point. So the the idea that the communication associated with engineering cities <clears throat> defined, I mean, communication all over the world, really. Like for mm -hmm. during the Robert Moses period, you basically had folks who were who could who could talk about how to build cities, and you basically built cities. You had you had all kinds of strange movements uh, come out of that. You had, you had entire cities like blossom out of out of nothing. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, I I wonder if even Shenzhen has some kind of association with that. With that vision, where you basically say, "This is <laughs> this is what I believe should be here," and then they, they just build it. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, in one sense, it's kind of the storing of engineering, like writ large, right? Just in we've had different we've had different um, uh, generations of engineering that became consequential. You know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like that civil engineering was a big deal. It still is, but it was a really big deal in architecting the country. You know, uh, um, aeronautical engineering and stuff like that was enormously consequential in war uh and the and the creations of you know the the, the modern mobile world um and computer engineering you know beginning around the the kind of 60s and 70s starts taking off as as the next you know seriously consequential area of engineering mm -hmm. world building really you know hmm. so so the the future belongs to coders or does the future belong to people who can talk between uh humanity and coders yeah, both really. I mean, like, like the the coders themselves, you know, uh, it, you know, some of them are very enormously empowered. Some of them are like, you know, just desk grunts, right? You know, it's like it's it's a very broad it's a very broad sphere. You could, you know, like you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, was able to build what he builded, what he what he was able to build Facebook because he knew enough, you know, like sort of PHP hacking to to get it up and running, and that starts the ball rolling. But there are lots and lots of people that you know do PHP hacking for a local bank, and they have mm -hmm. no particular power in the world. Um, so, but, but definitely, you know, definitely the ability to sort of envision and make something happen. Uh, if you have the ability to, to, you know, code stuff, to, to get prototypes out there in the world, that's, that's still really consequential. I mean, still a lot of money goes to people who have an idea and who can make it exist. That said, there's also, there's also enormous value in just kind of understanding and being able to talk to and interpret and get. Uh, programmer psychology, because, you know, lots of folks have to work alongside them, you know, be they their managers, be they designers that work with them, be they, you know, government officials who are like, all right, you know, these folks have to be sort of, you know, cajoled or or we have to work with them to sort of renovate these terrible old systems we have. So there's 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 an enormous value, I think, in, in just sort of getting this, you know, frequently very misunderstood group of, um, of folks. Hmm. Okay, so what what have you seen when you've uh, when you've talked to these folks? What what are you learning from them? Well, in one sense, I'm summarizing some stuff that I've known for a long time because I I, mm -hmm. I, I kind of grew up with the the 19 like 80s or late 70s and 80s generation of coders. Like I was I was you know like a basic programming kid back then, and I had a lot of friends that went deep into it and did it as a career. I went off and did writing, uh, but uh, but I, I sort of you know I knew I was always interested in in um, in the way technology affects society. So I, I've sort of been friends with and talking to developers, you know, for 20 or 30 years now. So some it's summarizing, but I also went out and I just said, you know, I'm going to talk to folks in all sorts of different areas because I'm really interested in finding out, you know, what commonalities exist that, 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 that archetype, that the, the programmer mindset, what, what, you know, what, 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 you know, what diverse stuff exists. Right. So if you wanted to, if you want, but if you want to think about, you know, kind of a few of the very common things you see over and over again, not not always universal. You can't generalize about millions of people and be 
and be absolutely universal. But but the stuff that literally everyone would would tell me about when I asked them, you know, you know, some of it is some of it's the obvious stuff that, that I think anyone would imagine. You know, they're really, really good at thinking logically and systematically, you mm-hmm. know, so like so, you know, you, you, anyone that thrives dealing with telling computers what to do all day long, you know, becomes unbelievably good at being precise because computers are completely and utterly unforgiving. You know, you and I talk to each other and we're like, I kind of say something, Hey, do you want to go and do this? And you know, if I, if I leave out a detail, you understand Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. We do a lot of, we do a lot of interpreting for each other, but you know, computers are just, you know, brutally, ruthlessly literal. So, you know, you leave out the damn comma, you know, and nothing works. You know, you leave out one tiny piece of syntax, nothing works. It just sits there. They're, they're like, it's like having, it's like working with this grammarian who is just smacking the ruler down mm-hmm. on your, on your knuckles, you know, all day long. So they become unbelievably precise. And, and it's kind of funny, like they'll, you know, they'll, you know, a lot of them would say, you know, this becomes sort of an issue in my everyday life. Cause you know, they're constantly like, you know, correcting or, or being numbingly precise in their personal lives in ways that, that, that doesn't necessarily work out. I mean, there's this very funny kind of joke or anecdote from the seventies. Um, it's actually, it's actually in Stephen Levy's wonderful book, um, hackers, mm-hmm. which sort of looked, was, was kind of a first, a first, a first blush at this in the seventies. And there's this guy that, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a hacker, you know, for MIT or something. And, uh, you know, he comes home and his wife like has gone out shopping and she drives home and she's like, Hey, you know, do you want to, um, do you want to uh, uh, take, uh, help me take the groceries in? And he's like, no. Uh, and, and so, so she goes, huh, you know, kind of, kind of rude. But, you know, she, the next week she goes shopping, Brent comes home and again asks him, do you want to, do you want to help me bring these groceries in? And he's like, no. Uh, and this happens like, you know, two more times. Finally, like the fifth week or whatever, she's like, she's like, do you want to help me bring these groceries in, man? And he's like, no. And she's like, what is it with you? You're like, you're like the biggest dick on the planet. And he's like, he's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just being precise. Like you asked me, do I want to help you bring the groceries in? No, I don't want to. You know, will I do it? If you ask me, of course, you know, like, you know, I love you. You're, you're, you know, you're my wife, but like you, you didn't ask me, you didn't say to me, Hey, help me bring them in. You said, do you, do I want to bring them in? And no, I don't want to bring them in. Like mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm interpreting exactly what you, what you said to me. So like that, that sort of, that sort of literalism, you know, is, is something that a lot of, a lot of folks would, you know, it sort of grows on you because of the demands of the rigor of talking to these crazy machines. And Jeff Atwood, the, um, the, the guy that founded Stack Overflow. Uh, he went on this very funny rant when I talked to him. He was like, he's like, I mean, he's probably a little burned out from having, you know, dealt with very, very persnickety <laughs> coders for, you know, for a decade and watching them pick each other to bits on Stack Overflow. But he's like, he's like, you got to understand, like, you know, when you're a programmer, it's like being trapped with, with the world's worst colleague, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the most annoying, asinine colleague ever. And it sort of just grinds you down. And if you don't watch out, it you you, you sort of start that starts transferring into your soul. So, so there's, there's, there's kind of some stuff like, you know, the, it's obviously very good to be precise. It's really good to be logical in that regard, but it, it can kind of, kind of grind on your soul. That's one thing that a lot of people talked about when they, when they sort of, when they, when they, when they told me about their, what this has done to them. Um, okay. and, and, I, and I think that's one that I think a lot of people would, 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 uh, would, would imagine. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I mean, you get, so, so I, I, I can barely write about, uh, programming without without stepping on somebody's toes everybody's got some kind of some kind of very precise definition of what the internet is etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. how does if if we're if we're looking to the future here we is is the expectation that computers are going to be doing a lot of our programming a true one uh, or do humans still have to do a lot of this stuff 
Right. Yeah. The question is like, is AI going to get to the point where you can kind of just spec out, Hey, I need a, I need a system that like takes these inputs and does that. And, and the AI just essentially writes the function. Mm-hmm. It, it's learned, it's studied enough software that it can sort of essentially compose a function on its own. Is that going to happen? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, if it's going to happen, it's, I think it's actually pretty, pretty far away. I mean, everyone I've, everyone I've talked to about that possibility says, you know, sure. I mean, on the one hand, a lot of stuff will get easier to do. It already has gotten easier to do. I mean, you think about these guys and women back in the sixties and seventies, you know, they're writing like in, you know, in a, in assembler, they're some of them are writing in like, you know, like literally specking out, you know, binary. Uh, and you know, and they automated some of that. They said, oh, we're going to create a compiler that's going to allow you to write like a, like a, a more like human-like language. And so that was essentially automating a huge chunk of coding, right? And mm-hmm. there was big debates about it. Like there was a lot of people that were like, this is going to ruin coding, man. If you're not actually thinking in hexadecimal, if you're not thinking in assembly, <laughs> you're going to be like just this total soft, flaccid, you know, like there was this argument of a real coding. that. So, But, you know, but that got automated. And now a lot more stuff gets automated. I mean, you know, I do very little bits of programming. I'm mostly making tools to help with my journalism. Mm-hmm. And very often, you know, I'm using these quote unquote libraries, which is, you know, someone has, has written like a very long algorithm that does something wonderful that chunks up text in a great way. And I just like invoke that and add it into my software. I don't really know how, <laughs> how that works. <laughs> you know, and coders do this all the time. So we're constantly sort of, you know, what they call adding layers of abstraction going higher and higher up. Um, so, you know, AI will definitely be another layer of abstraction. You'll be able to say, okay, you know, can you just kind of do this for me? And it'll kind of do it. But there's, there is literally, I'm pretty sure, always going to be another top layer where you need people that think systematically about systems who are like still pulling those pieces together. I think that's going to be around for a very, very long time. I mean, I think if you were asking if someone like a 12 year old was saying to you, hey, should I learn, you know, coding is, or is this going to be obsolete in 15 years? I go, no, you know, it's a, it's going to be an important part of of, of, of architecting the world. So mm-hmm. go for it. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, so what happens when we ex- abstract things out to a, to a level where nobody actually understands what's going on on the, uh, on the, at the base, right? Yeah. Is that, is that a concern? Does that, yeah. Or are there yeah. still enough people who are doing, uh, who are doing some solid work on the, on the base? There are still a lot of people doing solid work, like way down at the level of the machine. You know, there's always people who are like going, wait a minute, I don't like these languages. I'm going to make a new one, you know? So you get something like Rust, which is a new language that, that, um, that, you know, uh, uh, has become very popular. And a lot of people see as a replacement for C++, which is another fairly, you know, reasonably low level language. So there's always, and then, and, and the Rust people, like they're all like young people in their, you know, twenties and thirties, a lot of them. So there, there's definitely always new generations that are really interested in grappling directly with the machine and understanding it. But it is true that I would say that the, the that the great majority of people who do programming today are really sort of, you know, quote unquote, standing on the shoulders of giants. They are, they are very much, you know, working with this enormous level of, of, um, buffering between them and the, you know, and, and the, uh, and the disk grade that's writing the disks or the mm-hmm. processor that's doing the processing or the, or the memory management, you know, like even 20 years ago, you had a huge number of programmers that had to like think deeply about how much stuff they were putting in the RAM of, in the memory with any, given program because there's so little RAM. And so they're like, there's all these, there's all these people who are like, they're only like 40 now, but they're experts in worrying about what goes into memory. And that's simply not even something that most young people even think about anymore because memory management's become really automatic. So definitely I think there's, there, there's still the hardcore people that are doing that stuff, but, but most programmers are working on the high level. 
are there problems with that? Oh my goodness, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've heard from so many companies where, you know, they've got their got like 12 or 13 developers working on, you know, their their the software part of their company, and you go and talk to those developers, and they're I don't know, say it's like something that's like uh, their website is just run on Ruby on Rails, right? Which is a very common format for for it's a little aging now, but it's still very popular for making websites. And I, you know, I, I one day I dropped by this company in Midtown Manhattan, and the guy. Um, a guy I was I, I was talking about for my book had been working on this weird login bug. Like he kept on having customers who were getting logged out after like a certain number of hours, you know, without without asking to be logged out, mm-hmm. and he could not figure out what was going on. So he and a couple of people were sitting around staring at the stuff, probing it. It was it, it happened irregularly. It's one of these horrible bugs where it happens kind of semi randomly, so you're not really sure how to replicate it. You can't reliably trigger it. Mm-hmm. Finally, so I say, look, call me when you figure this out, because I'm actually interested in knowing, like, this is a really interesting, this is a weird bug. I like weird bug stories. Um, he calls me like a week later and he says, look, the truth is we figured it out or we solved it, but we <laughs> don't really know what, we don't really know what caused it. We just reverted, we went backwards to an older generation of a Ruby quote unquote gem, mm-hmm. you know, which is these little these components of Ruby code. And now, <laughs> now the bug's not happening anymore. You know, we could, we've got 12 people here. We could <clears> spend <throat> two mo- months like looking through 1,000, 2,000 lines of this Ruby Gems code to figure out what's going on. But, you know, we don't have enough staff time, so we're just going to basically wave the incantation and make it go away. And there's, like, there's a lot of coding that's like that these days. And so that kind of scares a lot of people because they're like, wow, these coders building these systems don't really even fully understand. You know, they're like me. Like these, you know, they're hacking together components that other people have written. I don't really know how those components work, right? So, you know, at the level of Google, you know, if you're like Google and you're and you, they've got engineers that are still staring down at like the movement of in, individual bits, you mm-hmm. know, I, like the, the really high level people that are out there. But every other thing, like you pull it an app on your phone, odds are the people, who, the person who coded it really understands the top layer of what's going on. The rest of it's just this sea of monsters uh, that they're not they're not super <laughs> sure what's they're, they're not, what? not super sure what's swimming around in that ocean. Do, you know, it works you know, for now. I mean, software is eating the world, right? So, do we ever get to the point where one one uh, bad line in a I don't know a Django uh, a Django package <laughs> is going to destroy Western uh, Western civilization? Uh, um, let's see. You know, like it, it, it's pretty. Fortunately, Western civilization is fairly distributed on a lot of systems, so mm-hmm. it'd be kind of hard to destroy all of it. But, 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 could you like you know could you knock out a, a power grid? Sure. You know, could you knock out a chunk of the internet? That actually happened a couple of years ago. Um, two years ago, uh, someone in, in Amazon that works on their cloud, you know, their Amazon AWS cloud, um, which is this cloud service that like everyone uses, right? Mm-hmm. Twitter is running off that cloud, you know, like LinkedIn is like running off that cloud. Um, anyway, the, the, this, this coder was supposed to do a piece of routine maintenance and, uh, <laughs> I think it was literally like a, it really was one of those misplaced semicolons Mm -hmm. and they update the software and like half of the internet on the East coast just went dark basically. Right. Like everything (laughs) crashed, Twitter was working, you know? So yeah, stuff can break and it can break, you know, quite, uh, quite, quite quickly. Um, I think that, um, I, I think fortunately there's still, we're, 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 we're a little bit saved in that. Like there's a lot of, um, a lot of systems are running on different things, so there's no single point of failure. Uh, but there are a lot of little things that will continue failing all the time. I mean, in one sense, there's no one who's more terrified of the world of software than actual computer programmers. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're looking at this world and they're like, oh, "Yeah, I know 
you, I know the person that built that that banking system that I'm using like doesn't understand <laughs> most well, of that code and can't really maintain it and is just hoping every day sure, that it like, keeps working, right? You know, so like they're they're kind of in some respects, the more you know about the way software works, the more kind of amazed you are that that society still manages to stumble forward with all this janky software we're building. I mean, it's not like it's so, so, I mean, in terms of like a physical engineering feat, like building a space shuttle or whatever, building a, building an airplane, it requires the, the input of, of thousands of hours mm -hmm. and hundreds of people. Whereas yep. some of this code that's, that's basically just, uh, it's, that's shovel ready. You basically can, you, you installing it into your, into your systems and it's mm -hmm. one or two people in a, in a basement somewhere who may or may not yeah. actively care about your, uh, your safety. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and also, also a, a difference with the aerospace is like, you know, highly, like, like almost amazingly unregulated, like, like every, all the, I talked about these previous ways of engineering, right. But they were, they were like, they were they're very carefully superintended by the government. You know, civil engineers had to file their plans for how they were going to build this this bridge so that the city could be sure the bridge wasn't going to fall down, right? Mm -hmm. But and and, you, and to become a civil engineer, you know, you had to sort of go to university, prove you knew the physics. Um, same thing, you know, like if you if you and I wanted to like work for Boeing designing wings on planes, we can't just show up and say, <laughs> hey, you know, like I practice this in my backyard. I built a bunch of wings. They're like, no, you know, go back and get a degree. But software. Software, you know, for, for good and for ill, and there's a lot that's good about it, is very much still a world where, like, there's, like, people with PhDs working right next to, like, college dropouts, high school dropouts, you know? Like, it's, it's still this area where you can, you can, there's people that train themselves, and they're really good, and they, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're building stuff. So, but, you know, it also allows for a lot of people to blunder in. I mean, I'm in the process of working on, like, this, 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 like, little app for myself to solve this problem I've got of, like, parking problems in, in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and my neighbors all want to use it when I'm done with it. And like, you know, I'm probably going to get it done the next few weeks. And I'll be like, okay guys, use this with caution because you know, someone who barely knows what they're doing built this thing. Um, <laughs> but that, and that's sort of almost a proviso you could put on a lot of software that's out there. So yeah. All right. What, what, so this is a podcast about the future. What are you going to be writing about in the future? What's the next Here's thing? Here's what I'm going to be writing about. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's two things that I think have moved, a few things have moved on to my, um, Bailiwick. Uh, and I've been doing this for 25 years. So I've seen trends come and go. If you'd asked me like 20 years ago, what are you gonna be writing about? I would have said, wow, you know, everyday communications, like the internet, the computers are no longer just about writing word files. It's about how we communicate. Mm -hmm. And like in 1990, you know, eight, that would have been kind of a new fa a, a new statement. Now it's a, now it's a boring old statement. So what's the stuff that's moved in now? Well, you know, artificial intelligence has really been a big one. Um, it is the, the fact that you have, um, you know, these very simple uh, libraries of software like Google's TensorFlow or um, or Torch at, at mm -hmm. Facebook that anyone can download and start like training neural nets to recognize things, predict things, to do things, to make decisions. Um, that has really exploded the world of the way people think of shoving artificial intelligence into things. So it's not just complicated things. It's, it's little things, you know, like stoves or, you know, or, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, model cars, speakers, headphones, all sorts of things are building all this AI into it. And this, so, so I'm, AI is, is, is really like, as much as it sounds like, as much as it sometimes feels like we're sort of just a wash in AI hype. Um, and I think like 90% of it is hype. It, it is a real shift and change in the mm -hmm. way that people build and design software. That is going to be something that I think is going to consume a lot of my reporting over the next decade, right? Um, I would say something like 
like the technologies you see in blockchain, but I'm simply not sure. I, it, there's not enough people that have come up with in, it's it's a super you know technically fascinating technology that doesn't have enough real world applications yet. They may emerge, but they're going to be a lot slower than um, than AI definitely. Um, and I think another thing, the third thing that I think I'm probably going to be tracking more and more. This is less a technical problem mm -hmm. than more like a civic problem or a political problem or a cultural problem. But um, the relationship that that people and societies have to these massive technology companies that, you know, like Robert Moses, just broke stuff down to run a highway, you know, through everything. You know, so Facebook comes along. The Facebook newsfeed is essentially the Robert Moses highway. And they just, you know, plowed over a big chunk of America mm -hmm. <laughs> and said, this, this is actually how we're going to learn about each other now. Like, you know, it's not really going to be TV and radio and newspapers anymore. It's going to be this stuff. Um, and there is a very, very big civic and cultural question as to um, how we think about the power of those uh, of those forces. So that's like a, it's like a code, but civics related thing that uh, is going to, is going to be another big, big thing. It's not going away. And it's going to be something we're going to be talking a lot about for the next 10, 15 years. I would say those three things. All right. Very cool. Thank you for joining me on this. This is a, uh, you're, you're, you've got a uh, breadth of uh, experience that a lot of these uh, folks that I talk to don't have, which is, which is great. Oh, I'm glad it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great, it's a great podcast and a great way of framing, uh, thinking and uh, breaking down, thinking about these questions. So it was fun to be here. We'll do it again. All right. <laughs> Super. Uh, Clive Thompson writer. Uh, when's your new book coming out? Uh, well, it's, I'm handing it in in summer, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be spring next spring, basically. All right, so so we'll 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 run we'll run another podcast with you uh, when it comes out. That'll be great. Superb. All right, thank you for joining us. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is presented by your host, John Biggs. It was produced by Rick Barr of Bar 26 Entertainment at ricksvoice.com. It appears every Friday at noon, and we're always looking to talk to interesting people. Tweet at John Biggs if you'd like to join us on the show.